The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z here, author of the Cannabis Business Book. And you're listening to the Cannabis Business Coach Podcast, where I chat with and coach the highest performing entrepreneurs in the cannabis industry. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z here, and on today's episode of the Cannabis Business Coach Podcast, I'm joined by the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of King's Garden, Mr. Michael King. And I see he's wearing the crown on his head proudly. There you go. So, Michael. Everywhere. Awesome. I love it. Everywhere we go. Thank you for for joining me here today. I'm excited to speak with you. I've, I've heard nothing but great things about your business, and I know that you guys are one of the top producers in the California market. So I'd love if you could just do a quick intro of yourself and your company for the folks that may not be familiar with you. Absolutely, Mike, thank you so much for your time. Uh, pleasure and honor to spend a couple of minutes with you and uh, share this platform. I really appreciate your time, thank you. Um, you know, it's all about the people. It's all, it's all about the people, any industry, anything you do, it's about your team. You can never do anything alone, and all of our success I owe to uh, my partners, the co-founders, Charlie Kiley, COO. Charlie and I started this together six years ago. Uh, we met through some mutual contacts. I was living in Florida at the time. Charlie was in California in this industry for about 15 years, uh, doing everything from outdoor, indoor, retail. And he was consulting on the project. I came in as a, a funding vehicle for that project. And you know, after a few minutes together, we decided we should do this together. So Charlie, COO, co-founder of King's Garden. Uh, shortly after that, Lori Kibbe, our CFO, she joined us. Um, and she was a you know, very important part of building our, uh, all the back office, the legal, the documents, the, accounting departments. Ultimately, workers' comp, which took us about 10 months to get banking, of course. Um, and so, and then there's a few other key players. Ivan, uh, who is now director of marketing, he was one of our first investors, and so, so on and so forth. But basically, you know, all of our success, we owe to our people, uh, our cultivation, uh, head of cultivation, VP of processing, distribution, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it's been six years strong. We started out with a very small operation, 16 lights in 10,000 square feet, uh, almost six years ago to date. Um, and it was our first, you know, California was a different, it was a different market. It was not easy to raise funds. So the first funds we, uh, invested ourselves personally, um, but back then, you know, you didn't see companies going public. You didn't see hundreds of millions being raised for whatever, right? And the market being a medical, not-for-profit market, uh, the question is, well, how do you make money, right? <laughs> so <clears throat> we decided, let, let's do the first one ourselves, together as partners, and let's make sure this model makes sense. That was six years ago uh, that we met, Immediately after that, we were able to uh, sign the lease, acquire the licenses, and we began. And it was, again, 16 lights in a 10,000 square foot building because we didn't want to spend a lot of money not knowing if the model works. Uh, 
I have never smoked cannabis. Uh, well, I, I smoked cannabis in college. Uh, it was not my favorite thing to at a party, right? I, 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 I drank or whatever. I just had fun other ways. But I was, so I wasn't too familiar with weed. And I brought the business aspect of it. I said, okay, well, if we can make this make sense, explain to me how we generate revenue. Charlie brought in operations and it was, you know, shortly after that, we realized, okay, well, if we could do this in 16 lights, let's, let's turn the whole building on. Well, that works. Let's turn two buildings on. So that was now 20,000 square feet. Well, like, fuck it. Let's go to a hundred thousand square feet. And so, you know, uh, over six years, we've been able to build a quarter million square feet of operations, uh, operating 3,400 lights right now. And as of recently, you may have seen the news, we acquired another 200,000 square feet and we're going to double capacity, more than double capacity for additional 4,000 lights. And we're actually working on another large deal with the same company, uh, IAPR, to acquire an additional 176,000 square feet to add four more thousand lights. Um, that's, sorry if that was a little bit long-winded, but that's, uh, that's how we began. Wow. No, that's no sorries here. That's amazing. Um, I'm curious if you could talk a little about uh, your business background and what it was like for you to transition into cannabis, because, you know, a lot of people trying to get into this industry don't really have a cannabis background and they're often intimidated. You know, how do I transition? How do I find my way how do I get involved? What's the right opportunity? And so on. So I'm wondering if you can speak to a little of your personal uh, journey to, to where you are now. Yeah, absolutely. Great question. And, you know, you're 100% accurate. My background, I graduated from Pace University. I'm sure you're familiar living right across the bridge. I uh, grew up in Brooklyn when we immigrated from Russia uh, 32 years ago. Uh, and I was always drawn to finance, to money, Wall Street being right there. So uh, I actually quit college in my junior year to go trade on Wall Street. I, I became an equity trader. And I was, uh, I was series seven, 63 and 55 licensed. Uh, and my first job was, uh, well, my first kind of like professional job uh, was at 110 Wall Street for a company called WorldCo. And uh, that's, you know, the, the street was buzzing with, with money and I was always drawn to, I was drawn to money. And, uh, and so th that's how my professional career began. Ultimately, I ended up finishing college uh, while working, but I changed a few firms. I was hired to uh, run a trading team ultimately. Uh, and they, you know, trusted me with hundreds of millions of dollars uh, for intraday trading uh, for myself plus for the team. And I was very fortunate, you know, with God's blessings to make good money while I was very, very young. At that same time, I was traveling to Florida for vacations and North Miami Beach uh, just to get away from New York. During that time, uh, Sunny Isles or the North Miami area was the real estate boom was just beginning. So I don't know if you're familiar, but uh, right just north of Bell Harbor, I'm sure you heard of it. Uh, which is a prominence like Rodeo Drive in uh, Los Angeles. Uh, a little city that's only about one and a half miles long was starting to develop huge condos. And so I ended up buying a condo myself. I became very, very friendly with developers. And 
as I was, you know, as I was trading, I was kind of like drawn to real estate more in South Florida because there was a huge opportunity. And I, and I was making very good money trading. Ultimately, 9-11 happened. And then a year after that, uh, a lot of rules and regulations changed on the New York Stock Exchange, how you could trade. And so, uh, and besides the rules changing, also a lot of robots were now trading instead of people. Uh, so the skill that we used as humans was kind of like taken away from us. We couldn't utilize it as well as uh, we did before. And it was, uh, it, it was actually perfect timing because I was already, I made some good money. I was a little bit tired of New York life. Uh, now the business was not as lucrative. Real estate was booming in Florida. I made great contacts. And so I ended up moving to Florida in 2003 uh, where I began uh, a very lucrative real estate career. And that, that, that ultimately, you know, between finance and having a finance, being in finance, as well as experience in real estate for approximately 12 years, helped me transition to cannabis because I was doing a lot of private deals, private funding, mortgages, real estate transactions of all kinds. Um, and with that knowledge, uh, a buddy of mine told me about cannabis. At first, I laughed at him. You know, I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> How do you make money with weed? Uh, he said, well, Colorado, they're doing this and that. I said, oh, man, Colorado. I like Florida. And I started really looking into it. Then in 2014, Florida had cannabis on the ballot uh, for medical. And the more I started looking, it was going to be a limited license opportunity. The more I started looking at it, I'm like, man, this is, uh, this is interesting. And so I read everything that I can get my hands on. I, I had meetings and that time, you know, <clears throat> you couldn't have too many meetings because you just didn't know where to go. I started flying all over the country, going to every single event all over the country, trying to meet people, trying to understand the industry. I read uh, uh, thousands and thousands of pages on mostly useless stuff, but it was enough for me in those readings to understand that the most profitable, uh, I guess, sector in cannabis was cultivation, was specifically indoor cultivation. And so understanding that, I'm like, okay, well, that's what I want to do. I don't want to make jars or bottles or what have you. Uh, I understood enough that I cannot get into the concentrated game without having biomass because then you're relying on somebody else. Uh, didn't want to do outdoor, didn't want to do greenhouse uh, because of the quality of product as I started to find out. And so indoor cultivation was the only option. And ultimately, uh, one day, and this is a funny story because I was getting ready for Florida and all of my resources were put into here besides flying all over the country and meeting people. One day I go to sleep and my wife says to me, what are you going to do if Florida doesn't pass? Uh, and I wake up, I'm like, fuck, well, uh, let, let me start calling these contacts. And so... I knew for myself, all I needed to do was get in somehow. And I began funding or financing other people's operations in California. Uh, I made some contacts and, you know, it's a very, very small industry. Once you get in, you kind of like, you, you start to understand who the players are, who does what. And a lot of these were just uh, because back then, only the growers really, or the cannabis guys or the potheads ran the businesses because they, you know, they're the retail owners, they're the cultivators. 
uh, there, it, there wasn't a lot of like business sense at that time. Um, and having understood how things work by investing into the industry, um, I'm like, okay, well, I think I can do this by myself if I get the right person who can operate because I can bring the funding. I can bring the business aspect of it, right? To make sure that it has value that you could sell it. And so, um, like I told you, I, in 2000, in 2015, uh, I think it was, yeah, two, uh, it was middle of 2015 that uh, I met Charlie on the project that I was asked to fund. Charlie was there consulting on it. And we realized that the guy in the middle that brought us there together, he was just useless. So Charlie and I spoke, we said, Let's do, you got this incredible experience. I can fund whatever you need. And Charlie was known as a phenomenal uh, phenomenal operator. His product has already been known. Uh, he's been known. He operated, you know, a couple of thousand acres up north. He had greenhouses, indoor retail. And I said, Let, but, but the funding was, was the issue, right? I said, I can get you funding and I can bring the business to this if you can operate. Uh, but most importantly, him and I got along. He's my brother. So we, we got along and to this day, like we've never had uh, a, a misunderstanding. And th th that's how it began. But in order to get into the industry, um, I, I knocked down every door that was possible, not possible. Um, I met people who, thinking back now, I should have never even spent a second with them. But all of that, all of that led me to land in California in that particular building with those particular people. Because had any of those steps been missed, had I not read one page of the thousands that I read, or had I not taken a trip to Las Vegas or Colorado, where have you, outcome would have been different. So uh, that, that's, I forgot what the question was. <laughs> oh, but that, that, that's how I got in. That's how I got in. We're able to take one project. So now we had a business model. We had 10,000 square feet. They're producing two, three, $4 million. We're like, okay, this is a business model with, you know, 40% profit. Well, let's raise money for the next project. And then let's raise money for the next project. And being in the real estate game for so many years and just, you know, financing business in general, I was able to, uh, and, and because I was an investor myself, I knew what I wanted to see as an investor in order to invest in a project. So when we came to the investors, we gave them excellent terms. We said, look, for you, here's how much this project can generate. Here's how much money we need. So if I'm offering you terms, what do I want to give you? I want to make sure that you can return your money priority basis, meaning that 80%, for example, of all revenue generated after expenses are paid will go back to you for, for until you're paid in whole. And then I want to make sure that you're making at least 30% ROI in your money after you pay back. Where do you find 30%? Nowhere. Uh, and so these are the terms. And because I knew it's risky, because I knew it's cannabis, because there's nothing else available, but these are people who trusted me. These are people who I had relationships with. I said, guys, I'll give you great terms. Uh, here's the risks. And, but here's also the opportunity. And so it was, it was very easy for us to, the difficult part was acquiring licenses. But raising money, we raised millions of dollars in 24, 48 hours 
um, once we were able to actually, you know, acquire the, the contract for, uh, that we needed the money for. Um, and ultimately the company ended up raising $55 million, all privately, uh, all friends and family, if you will. Uh, because if I did something good for you and you're making money, you're saying, okay, Mike, when's the next project? And then you're going to bring two of your buddies in. And then those two buddies for the following project are going to bring a few more buddies in. And uh, because of that, uh, we've been very successful in raising funds, not in a pool of money like you see most companies do. They'll raise their 100 or 150 or what have you. And then they have to go look uh, or, or for projects to acquire. Well, no, let me go get a project and then let's raise money just for that. We don't need to take in more capital than we need. We don't need to dilute the company. Let's raise exactly what we need. Let's give people what we're promising and everybody's happy. And so we've been able to do that and grow from, um, you know, 10,000 square feet to a quarter million uh, just six years later. Wow, amazing. So I'm gonna reflect back some of what I heard there. So one thing that we have in common is also when I got involved, I also traveled all over the country, tried to talk to as many people as possible, read everything I could because it was new to me. You know, I had just been a consumer and I realized this is a whole new world and to do anything intelligent in this space, I have to do research. I have to know what's going on, who's who, and you know, how to even determine an opportunity from not. And so I, I hear that you did a lot of prep before even getting involved. And then I heard kind of step two was taking your existing skills and leveraging that to actually, you know, have some kind of competitive edge to be able to build something organically. So, I, you know, I heard you say how you knew how to think like an investor, you knew what the investors wanted, and you were able to offer deals that were attractive. So raising capital, which, you know, a lot of people think is like scary and crazy and difficult for you was actually quite easy because you had relationships and you had that know-how and it was really more about finding worthwhile opportunities and then getting involved. And, you know, it, I, one thing you didn't directly say, but I imagine it must've taken a bunch of patience you know, to, to pass on stuff and to, you know, like you said, to travel, to talk to all these people, you know, the whole process that got you to where you are, there was probably a lot of detours and distractions along the way that, you know, didn't discourage you that instead you were just kind of, hey, this is part of the process. And eventually you got into that building you mentioned and you knew that, all right, this is, this is the opportunity I can operate here. This is, you know, and, and I, I, I try to encourage people, you only need one good opportunity, right? It's, it's finding that one good thing and then sticking with it and actually executing it well. And it sounds like, you know, you, you had um, that kind of, again, I'm going to call it patience to not have to, you know, just rush in. I think that's, the two biggest mistakes people make is one, not being prepared, not doing that research and skipping that step. And then two, rushing in, you know, it's kind of different sides of the same coin, but, you know, if you don't rush in, you know, people always ask, is it too late to get into cannabis? No, it's <laughs> going to be around forever. You know, it's not too late. It's, it's, it could be too early if you're unprepared though, and then it'll really be too late. 
So I, I hear that you are able to grow the business in a somewhat, I'm going to say, tongue in cheek, organic way, right? Where you had good opportunities that needed financing that made sense. And so you took on outside capital when the business required it, when there was an opportunity to return that capital and to, and to grow the business as opposed to the other way around of just kind of throwing money at it and hoping the opportunity will, will present itself, which is, you know, in this industry, it's, there's lots of opportunities, but few good ones. Um, and, and so I, I want to ask you, you know, as far as scaling up, you know, especially on the cultivation side, well, I have two questions. One is, do you still, you know, in the long term, do you still see cultivation as the place to be, you know, as the most profitable sector or segment, you know, indoor cultivation? And, you know, how does that change maybe five, 10 years from now, or post federal or once there's more of an international industry, will that still be the case? And then my second question is around how do you scale up that cultivation and still maintain the quality and still, you know, stay true to the brand and, and deliver for the customers? And I guess third question, I'm sorry, this is a bunch all at once, but the third question would be about actually just growing the brand and, and you know, there's a million companies in California. Aside from the actual product, what, if anything, have you guys done to stand out or to get market share, to build build the brand, or is it just the quality of the product, which, you know, I believe as a consumer at the end of the day, that's really, there's no substitute for that. That's really what people want. So, uh, a couple of my, my terrific questions and yeah. uh, everyone is on point. I might have to ask you to re repeat uh, no the problem. second, third as I addressed the first, but I just wanted to go back real quick to, you know, you and I are both uh, Russian immigrants and in, in pursuit of this, um, I, I had three kids at the time um, and it's you, you have to be relentless in your pursuit of anything you do if you want to be successful and trust me i ate shit by the fucking bucket full right <laughs> um because uh nothing comes without that but you know it's, it's one that gets stuck in your throat right here and then you put you force it down and you say give me some more so you just have to be relentless uh, there's actually a great book by Tim Grover called Relentless. Absolutely. Love that book. Yes. Yeah, yeah, amazing book. Tim, Tim, Tim's actually been to our facilities. He did a little seminar for us. Him and I oh. became great friends. After I read that book, I, I reached out and I said, come down. All of our top guys read the book. So anyway, but it, it just amazing. being, it, you know, we, we know where we come from, what it took our parents to get here and what we have to do with the example we got to set for our kids. I don't know if you have any or not. Not yet. Maybe one okay, day, God willing. Yeah. Well, when, when, when you do, and so just being, just being ready to do anything uh, at any time, and just do whatever it takes. And if you're ready to commit to the process, then just a, it's not <clears throat> if it, it just went right. So I, I I told my wife I said we're gonna do this is the industry I want to get in. 
and we're going to move from Florida where we're living at the time. I don't know where yet, but I'm going to find an opportunity. And then there was, you know, when you, when you have money, surprisingly, there's, you know, a lot of people <laughs> offering you things. But uh, I was traveling for about two years alone uh, with three little kids in a house. My kids now, well, that time they were uh, six, four, and two. And wifey held it down. She said, you go, go do what you got to do. And I, you know, I would leave, uh, be out for two, three, four weeks, come back, and I can get a call next day, hey, Mike, you got to come back. And I'll say, thinking that I'm actually going to be home for like a week or two or three. And I get on the fucking plane and fly back with one stop or two stops. And then, you know, it turns out that meeting was a complete fucking waste. And then I do it all over again for two, a period of two years. Um, so just being relentless for, uh, uh, to accomplish what you want to accomplish. And if you are, then you will. Uh, so I just want to touch on that. And like I said, you, you, you and I have a, a similar background where we're, we're no strangers to hard work. Uh, and so, uh, if people understand that and they're willing to commit to the process and understand that it's going to be a fucking painful one. Uh, they will achieve their goals. Uh, and now going back to your first question, uh, which was uh, in regards to indoor cultivation, sorry. Yeah, it's, uh, do you, in the long term, do you still think that's the most profitable part of this industry? Absolutely. So I was very specific in, in the part of, uh, in, in the subsector, uh, or it's actually the main one of what, what I wanted to get involved in. And what happens a lot of the time is people start, uh, they hear something, let's go do this, let's go do that, let's go do this, let's go do that. And then they end up doing nothing or they end up doing like five things, but they all suck at every single one of them. We said, no, we're going to be California is the largest market and cannabis market in the world and is known for its weed. So if we're going to produce weed, we're going to produce in California. And if we do produce weed in California, we're going to produce the best weed in California. Not saying that we're the only ones with the best, but that means indoor, indoor cannabis, uh, which is the best weed, period, right? So knowing that, that's how, that's how we started. Um, being in this state, it's like, you know, if you think about uh, wine, right? You think of Napa. If you think of oranges, you think Florida. So I think I may be going to your second question, but uh, cannabis cultivation, specifically indoor cultivation, will never go away because it produces the best product, period. There's, there, there's nothing else like it. I don't care if this greenhouse has, you know, uh, every bell and whistle, it's still not indoor. It's still a greenhouse. It can have supplemental lighting, it can have retractable roof, it can have all the AC in the world. It's still not indoor cannabis. And a lot of people make that mistake. Uh, one of those people was Ceneva, which ended up you know, going bankrupt. Uh, other people did whatever. But ultimately now what's happening is indoor cannabis will always be consumed as status flower because it's the best connoisseur uh, cannabis that exists. Greenhouse or supplemental lighting can be good cannabis that, that's smokable. Outdoor cannabis could be good cannabis that's smokable different tiers, different grades. Uh, but in California, most of that is now being used as biomass, right? So we actually sometimes 
buy biomass for a manufacturing line, right? But that's not, if we're talking about producing, not, you know, uh, we, we, we don't care about producing the mid-grade or low-grade cannabis. We want to be producers of the best. And that's our market. And our model is a Costco model where we produce top, top, top tier cannabis at affordable price to the consumer. We're not trying to kill consumers for, you know, 60, 70, 80 plus dollar eights. We actually have a program where uh, you can get our eights for $40 in the store. So now you're getting premium cannabis for $40 uh, and a constant high quantity anywhere in the state of California. So indoor cannabis will always be around uh, because it is it is kind of sort great cannabis for people who love to smoke weed, right? Um, not to say that there's not a place for greenhouse for you know of, of different kinds. Not to say there's not a place for outdoor product of any kind, but this is you know this is our uh, specialty, and that's what we're after. Uh, in regards to scale, it is absolutely, that was, I think, your following question. It is absolutely difficult to do this on scale. And many have failed doing it on scale. You've seen, I'm sure, uh, maybe on Instagram through blacklist or whatever, the horrific flower that um, uh, Cure Leaf was growing, all molded, uh, that some other companies grow with, that, that uh, Canopy was doing in Canada. This is nothing new because when you go away from anybody can take, you know, a garage or room or even 10,000 square feet for that matter and grow weed and hand water and all that. But when you get into industrial cultivation, which is what this is, this, this is, it's, it's a factory, right? Everything's got to be so dialed in. A 20,000 square foot building costs 120, $150,000 a month to operate. You have one fuck up, well shit, you just lost four months and now you gotta wait of work and now you gotta wait four more months, three months to get it back. Uh, that, that's that's bank, you know? So we operate, you know, when we talk about operations, it's flawless execution. It's like, you know, in our company meetings, we talk about flawless execution every single time on every single level. And by being able to implement um, uh, just big pharma, big tech, uh, watering solutions, uh, feeding solutions, uh, water cleaning, filtration, and all that, uh, you're able to do this at such scale. Some people get stuck, and they could be phenomenal, you know, and I always love the term master grower. There's, there's no such thing. There's no master grower. Uh, there's just a good-ass operator, right? <laughs> there's a specialist in cultivation. Um, if you have a good grower who's used to a certain thing in 2,000, 3,000 square feet, where he's got to water the plants, he's got to see everyone, they cannot most of the time make the transition to industrial scale because they get overwhelmed. They have to change a lot of things that they're not used to and the product goes to shit. And that has happened time over time. Luckily, you know, that, that's why I said it's all about the people. I, I couldn't grow a cactus, but my, I don't need to. <laughs> my partner, who's a badass, he has been doing this for 15 years, right? So we're able to take one facility, given the resources, okay, well, let, let's make sure, and we always built them to, you know, high standards without overspending money, but making sure that they're fully, fully functional, operational. And uh, 
implement what we need to in order for it to be not a garage grow, but actually a factory. Um, it takes, you know, and the smallest mistake with the feeding schedule, smallest mistake with the nutrients, smallest mistake with the lighting, AC going out, pesticides, God forbid. I mean, there, there's so many factors because at the end of the day, it's farming, right? It, it's still farming, except in an indoor situation, it's not as forgiving. You have to be able to uh, pivot if something happens, you, you have, but you most importantly, you have to be on point. Shit's always going to happen, but you got to be on point. And by implementing those SOPs from the very, very start, we have been able to expand to where we are today. Um, and regards to legalization, which I think was your third question, look, we, we, we are building now for that. So whether it takes a year, two years, five years, doesn't matter. We have the demand today uh, for the state of California. And that's why we acquired this new facility. And that's why we'll be acquiring another facility to triple our, more than triple our production. When the states open up, it is my belief that uh, when the federal government deregulizes, um, it is my belief that states will still try to uh, have a say on operations within that state. Uh, what I mean by that, Florida, for example, uh, where you know limited licenses, uh, licenses sold for up to eighty million dollars, they're not just going to let uh, you know. Let's say tomorrow everything is good. There's no, uh, it's fairly legal. We're not just going to be able to ship cannabis from California to Florida because Florida is going to protect its license holders who, whether they paid a lot of money, a little money, they want to have control on that. So I think we're still some time away from there where cannabis can move from state to state, uh, across states to retail locations, to distribution centers. That's going to take some time because that's just a massive undertaking. But it's going to happen. It's going to happen for sure because other countries are doing it with other countries like Canada and you know in, in Europe and Spain and Germany. So we'll figure it out. We'll get it. You know that's going to happen. It's going to take some time, but for us it doesn't matter. We have enough demand in the state right now. Uh, probably if we had a million square feet today, we would we'll still need another million. And with that objective, we're always like, what do we need to do today? So today uh, we're concentrating on what has to be done within our organization, which is we have, we produce 44,000, 45,000 pounds of cannabis uh, on an annualized basis today. We're like, okay, we could use three times more, right? So about 150, 160,000 pounds of finished cannabis on an annual basis. That's gonna put us in, in where we need to be in the state of California. If during that time other states open, great, we'll make more money. But we're not building our business model on that. And sometimes, you know, people jump around and they try to, you know, let's do this, let's do the multi-state thing. And, you know, we, we were actually um, in the process of going public. At the same time that MedMen went public, we were uh, about to go on the roadshow. And having a little bit of a background in finance and being on the Wall Street and having a lot of friends who are brokers, but like real stock brokers, not like the Canadian stock brokers, uh, where most of the stuff they do, that they should just all be in jail, to be honest with you, because uh, I, I know the process of how it's supposed to be. And when we saw that we had to open up a round, 
So they were going to take us, just so you know, they were going to take us public at 650,000, a million, 650. They were giving us $50 million at the time to go public. Uh, we were told, hey, uh, well, you got to do like a family and friends round at 150 million so that they can all participate. Their mothers, grandmothers, uh, mother in laws, brothers, sisters, who are not like directly their names can participate. They can get in at 150 million value. They take us public at 650 million value. And what happens to every stock that has ever gone public? Right. And we've seen MedMen from two billion, one and a half billion to it's not even what 200 million today. I mean, acreage, uh, harvest, we can go on and on. Companies bankrupt. And so, about three or four days before we were supposed to go on the roadshow, I was like, guys, <laughs> you're not going to destroy this company. And for perspective, at that time, we only did $8 million. So I'm asking, how the fuck? we're worth 650 million when we just did 8 million bucks this year this year we're going to do 30 so they're like oh no no it's fine but also you know let's show more states so they're telling me to revise our deck to show that what we're going to do in california which we're actually are doing and hitting our numbers we're going to be closing this year at 80 million uh we're going to be doing 100 110 million dollars next year they're telling me well just write on your deck three or four or five other states and let, let's set 100 million for each of those states to be an MSO, right? And I told them, I said, you're out of your fucking minds because you don't understand what it takes to build out 20,000 square feet and operate efficiently. I'm not going to do that. You guys are going to destroy the company that we bled to build. And we walked away from the deal. Every single banker was laughing at me, everyone. I told them, wait, we'll see who's laughing later. And you, you, you've been following the stock market right now. Luckily, there's a nice, nice uh, increase. But you, you, you've seen the massacre. You've seen the CEOs get kicked out from Adam Beerman to everybody else. Yep, that that bubble burst, those crazy valuations that were sky high, and you know, were probably good for the underwriters, but not so great for the operators and shareholders. I, I sat in the front seat of that and I was like, oh, this is going to be a fucking disaster. You guys just want to rob my company and that's it. So we canceled that one out. No. Oh, obviously the right move there. So good, good for you for, for getting out of there. I, I want to ask you, you kind of answered it already, I think, but uh, I want to ask you, what's a common misconception about cannabis cultivation or cannabis business that you know isn't true? And I feel like you gave me two, one about the, the IPOs and that that's not always the great way to go. It's not the get rich quick scheme for the operator. It doesn't necessarily help the business. But the, the other one was more, and, and I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it, it sounds to me like based on what you said, it's, it's possible to go industrial and maintain high quality, which I feel like often, you know, I feel like most people don't subscribe to that. So maybe that's the, the misconception that, that you know is not true, but I'm wondering if there's maybe something else or, or if that's the one. You're absolutely right. Um, little one. <laughs> um, you're absolutely right. Many people think that when you go industrial, when you go big, you lose the quality. Absolutely not true. If you 
stay true to your SOPs, to the process. If you stay true to the process, the results will be the same. Uh, it is a lot of times, you know, people lose it. They lose the quality, it's true, uh, but not everybody. And I think we've been able to prove that. that fact but it's uh you know the only reason why that misconception exists is because they most likely have seen it or have heard operators fail at, at that scale when they increase it right uh they have seen the failures uh but it is absolutely not true um you know and a lot of people I, i've had countless meetings with people who i just sit there and i truly feel bad for them because they were you know everybody wants to be in the cannabis industry it's a cool thing to do uh, for many years now, and then you sit there in this in your office talking or their office talking to these people, and for us, just so you know, most of these meetings are like, like hey, uh, we need a we need an operator, we need a, somebody to run our facility because we either went through five different growers or uh, we don't know what we're doing, and so we offer services, uh, design, construction, operations, licensing our brand, and all of that. And when I sit at the table with these people, sometimes I, I just, I already know what's going to come out of their mouth before it does. And then I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, what the fuck are they doing in this industry? And then I'm thinking, man, I feel bad for them once they leave. Because these are people that should have never, ever, ever, ever been in the industry. Because what did they do? They raised money. They went to hurry up and spend the money on whatever without people to operate the facilities. That's the first thing you do. First thing you need is like someone who can, like, right? If you're gonna be, in, if you're gonna own a race, uh, a race car team, well, first thing you need is a fucking car and a driver. <laughs> you know what I mean? But these people go by the team, they go by the car, like, oh yeah, well, we forgot we need a driver and some wheels, just in case. So but this happens uh, more often than not, and these people fail miserably because now, if they had someone, well, that someone built the place for their fit well it turns out that they weren't able to perform now they're looking for somebody else that somebody else comes in well shit i don't know how to operate this system well let's let's change all of this and that after they change all this and that well shit they sucked right so what do we do now and i yeah so but that happens quite often uh the only thing i would say is know what you're going to do and then people started cultivation well you know i heard that manufacturing let's go do manufacturing well maybe distribution well, maybe pre-rolls or edibles or, and then they end up doing nothing, you know, years, years, years later. And they're like, oh, maybe we should have just stuck to something and just done that right. A lot of maybe investors don't understand how important and difficult it is to find good operators in this industry. Let me ask you maybe one other question, maybe two. One is, um, I'm curious if there's any piece of cultivation technology that doesn't exist yet that you really wish you had access to? Sure, and I, I really quick, I just want to answer your other question. I think I just sure. remembered you asked about the brand. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, so the brand, uh, you know, many, and you've seen this many, many times and you'll see it many, many more. Uh, a lot of companies just have a brand and then they try to launch the brand. Well, they forgot that they need, you know, the product also for that. <laughs> So they're now in a situation where, and we support many brands, uh, but guess what? We support those brands uh, through sales to distribution companies, uh, wholesale basically, of product that, you know, um, 
and it's an important part of our business. Uh, King's Garden is always going to have priority, but we also do wholesale, uh, and then they'll go and repackage it. Well, they're never going to buy a pound of weed from us and put it in a jar on the shelf cheaper than we are, right? So now you have this beautiful brand, beautiful packaging, rather, and you have to keep sourcing the weed from different people. Well, today I'm giving it to you, for example. Tomorrow I'm not. Or if I see that, you know, your brand's getting too big or whatever. Or if I just need more for me or I want to launch another line or I just don't like you anymore. Uh, and that, 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 that's, what, that's what many companies, they find their, you know, themselves in. How could you have a brand if you don't have production? I, I never understood that. And that's why many have failed. In regards to our brand, King's Garden, um, before we launched the brand, we understood that we need to have scale. We need to have sustainable scale that we can uh, fill not one or two or just the local shops, uh, with, but the entire state of California in some capacity. And so it was only two years after we launched our operation, started producing cannabis, that we actually launched our brand, King's Garden. Uh, because at that point, we knew that now we can sustain it. Now we can be in many stores and now we can reach the consumer. Uh, we don't want someone to pick up King's Garden today and not be able to pick it up tomorrow. No, so now we're pushing out this tremendous volume. It's a machine uh, that's always the same consistency. That's always the same quality. Uh, and just in mass quantity across the state. And because of that, because it was always um, priced right, because the quality was always uh, superior, uh, we never spent any dollars on marketing. So through today, we spent zero marketing dollars. Zero, nothing. Wow. The, the, the brand grew and you know we're one of the top brands as far as sales are concerned. Uh, and some months we were number one um, uh, in the state, and it's, it's a big state, uh, without spending any marketing dollars at all. Wow, that's tremendous. And I think that's another kind of big misconception and, you know, the strategic approach that you took that first, we're going to make sure that we have the supply chain, the manufacturing process and the product really tight and then we'll start branding it. And then we can go to town with that. Whereas I think, to, like you said, so many other people have done it backwards where you know they have the nice logo and the fancy packaging and the this and the that, but they're missing the key ingredient, the, the biggest piece of the puzzle, which is the actual product. And yeah, or listen, these companies will come to us, they'll say, okay, we're ready to launch our brand, check out our packaging, wonderful. We want to work with you guys. Okay, we're ready to buy 10 pounds for two stores. And then what, like, I salute the fact that you guys want to do it, but but then what, <laughs> right? <laughs> but then what? So, especially in this state, in this state, you got to come strong and you got to come with it. Otherwise, you know, the consumer, and look, the consumer is too smart. That's why I told you, you know, indoor cannabis will always be indoor cannabis. Uh, anyone will buy something once. The nice jar, it appeals to whatever. You'll buy it once. But when you find out that the second time you bought it, well, even the first time it was trash, you won't buy it. Or if you go to buy it the second time, it's a different product, 
you won't buy it, right? So it's being able to speak to the consumer. It's being able to, most importantly, in my mind, it, it has to be a premium product because product speaks for itself, right? Uh, all of our packaging, I don't know if you've seen, we've spent a lot of time on it. It's, it's, uh, it's an experience. We want to give a consumer an experience. And we want to get, we want to show them lifestyle of King's Garden, what we stand for. You know, you won't, you won't see anybody like uh, doing stupid shit on Instagram or we're about respect. We're about family. We're about doing things the right way. Right. Um, and let, let, let the brand speak for itself or the product speaks for itself. Absolutely. To that point, I like to say quality is king and consistency is queen and you need both. Um, one more gangster. Nice. Hi. Hello. Um, one is somewhere. <laughs> so, Michael, I want to ask you, uh, you know, if you have an answer on the on the technology question or, uh, yeah, or, yeah, or an innovation that you, you know, you wish you saw either in cultivation or in the industry in general, like what's on your wish list? You know what? The only thing I think, I don't think we'll ever get there. Maybe we'll come close. The only thing, and, and I wouldn't say that I, I wish for it. I would say that it would be nice uh, is if quality of LED lights actually uh, got to that point where the product could be produced same as you know the regular Gavita lights. Uh, the reason why is because of the electrical demand. So you know we have some buildings where we pay, for example, for forty thousand square feet of cultivation. Uh, where we have a thousand lights, our bill could be uh, over one hundred twenty thousand dollars a month, right? So that, that that's crazy. We pay we pay almost we pay somewhere around seven hundred thousand, just just a hair under seven hundred thousand a month in electric bills, right? So it's crazy. So if we can get the LED lights to give us the product that's comparable to uh, high high uh, intensity bulbs, great. Do I think it's gonna happen? I don't think so because still, I don't care how you know uh, how you uh, play with it. It's still an LED light, right? It doesn't produce heat by being a LED light. And what we need is heat. We need those bulbs burning at a thousand watts. We need those bulbs to penetrate the plant, penetrate the cocoa, the medium that we use, uh, and provide that heat, which gives you know the product that the girth, that size, that quality, that smell, and everything else. Um, I don't think we'll ever get there, but, that, uh, but I hope we do. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And then let me ask you, what's your biggest business challenge today? Great question. Great question. Um, I wouldn't say that I have any particular business challenge. Uh, I would tell you that we're always looking to do better. So it's, you know, it's never sitting back and saying, great, we just closed this deal or great, we just accomplished this or great, we just released this packaging. It's okay, you take it in for a second, what's next, right? So the challenge is to keep growing in every aspect of the industry. The challenge is to keep getting better. And even when you think you got fucking tits but uh, you know in anything of those 
well, you have to not be able to relax and you have to, you can take it in for that day or two, but then you got to keep pushing because the second you relax, the second you stop growing, there's people, you know, gunner for you, right? And so you have to keep going hard in every single aspect, uh, more efficiency, uh, driving costs down, better packaging, expansion, uh, what are we doing with distribution? Getting into stores. What's our president's stores? Uh, getting more, you know, street teams out there. Getting more customer loyalty. So it, it's anything and everything on the daily. There's not a single thing that I would tell you I'm comfortable with because if I say that, then I don't belong here as the CEO of the company. I'm never comfortable, and I'll always keep improving and keep doing more and doing it better. So I love that answer. I'm, you know, that's personally something I struggle with. And so I'm curious, is that something that you had to kind of develop and train yourself over time? Or is that something that's, you know, what's the motivation? Like once, when you're already successful, when things are going well, things are growing, you know, you've been the number one sales company in California, the number one cannabis market in the world. It's like, you know, and, and maybe it's part of that relentless drive. Um, but what is it that, that keeps the fire burning, that keeps you, you know, pursuing that growth and that excellence? Uh, how, do you, how do you keep that up for yourself? Uh, because I know that if we pause, if we stop, there may, 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 they would like to take our, our, our spot, right? Our spot, wherever that spot is. Um, and so you could never relax because I'm a, I'm a competitor by nature. I've been an athlete my whole life and, and just in business alone, you know, um, I want to be the best that I can be, the best our company can be. It, could, it doesn't have to be the best, like number one in the world, but the best that we can make it, right? And, and because I know there's other people gunning for that spot. Listen, there, there are many great, great, great companies in California there's so many more with much more capital available than us, right? We didn't raise shit if you think about it. What's 55 million bucks? Nothing. There's companies, there's the spec right now. I don't know if you saw the news. That spec acquired or did something with Kaliva, and I think they're sitting on $500 million. It's on NCV, if you check it out. They're sitting on $500 million. So, you know, I don't need 500. I need exactly what we have. But when companies like that are sitting out there and they're looking to just, you know, come in, oh, fuck, you, gotta, you better fucking kill me for that spot because we won't stop. Amazing. That's awesome. I love it. So, Michael, it's been such a pleasure to talk with you and hear some of your story. And um, I'm grateful you took the time out to chat with me today. Before I let you go, I wanted to know I want to give you the chance if you have any like closing comments or parting words to, you know, either for me or for the listeners who are aspiring cannabis, cannabis entrepreneurs and investors or active cannabis entrepreneurs and investors. Any, any last thoughts for today? Absolutely. First, I want to thank you and uh, your organization. Uh, thank you for giving us uh, a platform and for doing all the great things that you guys are doing. Uh, lots of respect, and uh, I'm honored to be here with you today. Uh, great job to you personally. Keep keep killing it. Uh, I would like to extend an invite to our facilities. 
when you have a chance to come and visit us in California. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. you, your teams, the doors are open. Also, please send me an email with your shirt size. We're going to make sure that we send you a nice package uh, so you can wrap our gear in New York and wherever your travels take you. Uh, but yeah, I'd love to say thank you to every single one of our investors, every single one, because they didn't believe in us. Um, and we didn't have shit when we raised money. We didn't have nothing except, you know, a story of what we're going to do for them. And some people trusted us with all they had, which would have been $10,000. Some people invested 10,000 bucks. Other people invested $13 million, right? So our investors are everywhere between 10,000 and 13 million. Uh, and if it was, you know, not without every single one of those people who trusted us, uh, we would not uh, have been successful. Uh, I want to acknowledge every single person who worked or currently works for King's Garden. If they worked, that means they weren't that useful. But, <laughs> uh, but if they currently, but, but, but I, I like to look at the best in people. So I would say that everyone played, even if it was a little role, that they played play that role. But everyone who works uh, for King's Garden and uh, the tremendous responsibilities that they carry from the trimmers to the packagers, of course, to the managerial team, to all of our legal accounts, everyone, it, it's a team. It's no, no, no one's above that. Uh, and no one can do what we do without having an excellent team. Of course, to the consumers who uh, purchase our product, uh, we're forever grateful uh, that they uh, want to come into the store, buy King's Garden, buy our merchandise, wear it out, be proud to be part of our uh, brand, be part of our company. It means the world to us. We'll continue doing what we're doing, keep bringing people you know, the, the quality that they're looking for. Um, and everyone out there who you know we have or we will be doing business with, uh, we, we try to do things with integrity, with uh, honor, and we will continue representing the brand the way that we have been from day one. Not, nothing changed. Amazing, awesome. Well, Michael, thank you so much again for your time today, and keep up the good work. I I will definitely take you up on that offer to visit that facility in California one day. And I look forward to one day trying the product. Now, now I have a, another reason to go back to Cali. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate it. Make sure you send me an email with your shirt size and the package is going out tomorrow. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach.